Hi, I'm Joel. And I'm Kishin. And this is Tea for Two. This is our BFF podcast where we talk about anything from science to popular culture, the arts, and life in Singapore. Hi everyone, my name is Joel Tan. I am a playwright and performer. And my name is Kishan, and I'm a science educator. Now, obviously, we've called this a best friend podcast because Kishan and I are best friends. And in fact, we've been best friends for like what's coming to 12 years now, which I think is an incredible achievement. So, congratulations, Kishan. It's been quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, a substantial portion of those 12 years, I believe, was spent not talking to each other. But I'm glad we are where we are now, oh, where, we are, literally, that's, that's where we are literally talking to each other, recording it, and putting it on the internet for people to listen. Listen. Yeah, for posterity, right? Just, just, so, just so we know it happened. <laughs> yeah, in case sometime in the future we stop talking to each other again, correct, and it's like, correct. oh, listen to that. Look at like the bands we used to have. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it sounds like we're in the same room, that's coming to you courtesy of the magic of modern technology. Uh, Kishan and I are actually recording this podcast from our respective isolations. Uh, which, if you need some context, in case you're visiting this podcast from 200 years in the future and doing some kind of digital archaeology, uh, we're in the middle. <laughs> We're in the middle of a horrible global pandemic right now. The time is May 2020. Um, and if you are listening to us from the present, welcome, mysterious listener. We have no idea who you are, but we are very glad that you Hello, are Hello, dear here. listeners. Right. So... Uh, you might be wondering what you can expect from this little podcast of ours. Well, we'll be talking about anything from science, which is my pet topic. I'll be excited to talk about it. Uh, to popular culture. And arty-farty stuff. Theatre, movies, politics, and generally asking the big questions like, what does it mean to be alive in a difficult time like this one? Yeah, you're an expert, Joel, aren't you? <laughs> No, because like I'm barely getting through <laughs> I'm barely getting through the day most days. So like yeah, it takes like let's let's go let's let's go deep on this question, Kishan. Anyway. As with anything, a bit of structure is always important. So we decided to break this podcast up into three different parts. The first we're calling Pandemic Potluck, where each of us brings something to the table uh, from our lives under the watchful gaze of the pandemic. And what we're gonna do is that we also want this to be a little bit of a surprise. So Joel and I won't be telling each other what we're going to be talking about. And the second segment is something we call Luke Warm Takes, where two elder millennials, i.e. Kishin and myself, break down the latest in trending internet topics. Yeah, and we'll be capping off each podcast with a segment called What to Watch at the End of the World, where we'll be reviewing a show or series that we've been watching as the world burns. Which, if you think about it, is probably the last thing you should be doing as the world burns. You should be watching the faces of your friends and family as we're all burnt away into dust. <laughs> um, but on that note, let's get started! Okay, so this is the first segment for today, which we've called Pandemic Potluck. Is it you bring misyam? Is it you bring agaga? Is it you bring bihun? Or are you the bitch who brings Jack and Jill potato chips? Because I swear I have been to family potlucks where someone turns up with the Jack and Jill potato chips and I'm like, that is not a sterling effort, ladies and gentlemen. Go downstairs and buy something else, you know what I mean? Um, this is the section in which we each bring something to the table for discussion that's drawn in some way from our banal lives under the pandemic. And uh, Kishan promises me he's got something very interesting to talk about today, so take it away. 
Wow, first I feel very attacked. I'm the guy that brings the chips and salsa. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you have always been that person. Yeah. Because I can't cook, right? So like, you oh, can't cook. I, I, you I, buy cook. like buy a roast chicken. You know what I mean? It's not so hard. Sure. You know what? Okay. So I'll take this as like you know in, for improvement. Okay. So what I want to talk about is uh, something that I got into a weird rabbit hole about uh, just like two hours ago, and it is this this weird conspiracy theory about 5G network causing coronavirus. Okay, and before I start going into it, I just want to make it super 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 clear that it does not. Okay, <laughs> if you think that it, yeah, if you think that it does, uh, you heard it here first. It really doesn't. So let's get into the science first. So 5G basically means uh, fifth generation wireless technology, and to under to basically understand what this whole thing is about, we need to get acquainted or no, reacquainted if you're a science hole like me with the electromagnetic spectrum. Oh God! Okay, the EM spectrum. Yeah, come on, guys, <laughs> get on board. The EM spectrum is basically the entire spectrum of radiation that exists. All right. So picture this with me, okay? I'm going to paint a scene. So on one end of the spectrum, you have radio waves, microwaves. These are very low frequency, very low energy. All right. Then somewhere in the middle, you have visible light, which is all the colors of the rainbow that we see. And on the other end of that spectrum, we have ultraviolet light, X-ray, gamma rays. Now, on this side is what we don't want to get into because it, it it's so high energy that it breaks chemical bonds and it interferes with your cells and it's cancer causing. This is the stuff that can like literally eat your skin up, right? It's, it's the stuff that yeah. you're protecting your skin from when you put sunscreen on your face. So that's UV, right. yeah. Ah, yeah, okay. but uh, gamma rays and x-rays are, are stuff that's really quite Oh, it's potent, the one that will really make you mess. have like the three-headed lizard babies. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, like, it, it's, it's the stuff that can actually cause real mutation. So... How wireless technology basically works is, very, in, in a nutshell, we basically use these waves to carry information. The higher the frequency of the wave, the more information it can carry. The thing is, as we move from 1G to 4G, we so as we've gotten better over time, right? 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, uh-huh. we've always only stayed at radio waves. So we've just been using higher frequency radio waves, which is, if you remember, the very safe side of the electromagnetic spectrum. Right. So 4G, even 4G is still like high frequency, yes, but still radio waves. So 1 to so, 4G are all within the realm of the fairly harmless radio wave. Yeah, the, the harmless radio waves. Now, what about 5G? Yeah, what about 5G? Now, 5G has moved one step uh, to the neighbor of radio waves, which is microwaves, which is why it's such a big deal. So it's moved up to something that it's, uh, a lot more uh, that has higher frequency and is able to take uh, is able to carry a huge amount of information very very quickly okay which is great but it is still on that side of the spectrum even before visible light so it is not as energetic as visible light so when people say that 5G is harmful or whatever all you have to do is to remind them is I can see you, light is on you. That light has a lot more energy than 5G waves. So uh, I read up about it and this is where I got into the rabbit hole. There are basically three main reasons why this is even a thing. The first is scientific nomenclature. Now, just now I just used the word radiation and with, with someone who doesn't actually know what radiation means, they can freak out very easily, right? So all these, these terms are very frightening and very unfamiliar and people's relationship with technology is already very strained, especially when you think about stuff like 
like um, uh, the residual fear from waves generated by power lines and stuff like that. Mm. So people have have this fear from this. So it was very easy for people to get scared when the next step happened with 5G. The second thing, and this was totally preventable, is celebrities perpetuating the myths. Are you kidding? Celebrities, a bunch of celebrities, from John Cusack to Wiz Khalifa, believed that 5G caused coronavirus, or at least there was a link between these two. And because people have direct access to celebrities, this became uh, devastating effects on the general public. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, It's fascinating. Because like, uh, I don't know if it was you or my boyfriend Joe who was telling me that in London, uh, where where I live actually, and I've come back to wait out this pandemic, FYI, um, people were climbing up the 5G poles to tear them down because they were 100% convinced that there was a link between the two. Because also something about the timing of like the rolling out of 5G services in the UK and then the outbreak uh, seemed quite convenient. But like, it, it just Absolutely. boggled my mind when I was hearing it to think, are you, are you fucking serious right now? Right? Yeah. So this created a very potent mix. La. So celebrities not being very, uh, I think, responsible uh, allowed this this whole conspiracy to really spread. Now, all those celebrities that I've named, they've actually taken down their tweets already and because people have called them out for being really, really, um, well, for lack of a better word, really stupid about this. The third one, and I think this is the most interesting, is to do with anti-vaxxers. Mm. So, anti-vaxxers have... They, they don't like vaccines, right? They don't want anything to do with vaccines. They don't want vaccines to be produced. So, if they can link the coronavirus to 5G technology successfully, then for them, there's there's another case for not needing a vaccine. So they have fanned these flames like crazy. Anti-vaxxers, anti-vaxxers are actually very, very, very sophisticated. So they've put up a lot of misinformation online. And every time there is a there is something that's non-scientific, it gets flagged up depending on which site uh, these this nonsense is on. So what they've done is that they learn how to evade this flagging. So every time a, 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 a con- content of theirs gets flagged up, uh, they immediately go in and they tweak it such that it stops getting flagged up. So they've become very sophisticated. So this is a very powerful um, friend to have, you know, on the conspiracy side. Mm. So it is fascinating that this has become a thing. Because scientifically, it just makes no sense. I mean, like, you don't even have to resort to science, right? It's just like the sound of the claim already makes you like laugh and then want to kill someone <laughs> oh my god it's true I, I know when I when I heard it at first I was like is this a joke are, are we are we like is the world being punked or something I don't know yeah. it was ridiculous and he's like thanks Kishin because now I feel even more depressed about the pandemic than <laughs> I already was you're welcome I mean and let's take this in a different an equally depressing direction, right, Kishin? Which is my little offering to today to today's pandemic potluck. Going to the supermarket. Like, <laughs> like I can't stop talking about this because it's it is a hundred percent my experience of the pandemic right now, right? Which is every time I go to the supermarket, I feel this overriding sense of stress, anxiety, horror, and what I have described many times as an undertow of hatred coming towards me and I'm not gonna lie I feel some hatred in the supermarket too for my fellow man it's like everyone is just 
there simmering in their resentment and they're like why the fuck are you here why the fuck are you in front of me why are you not at home you know I me mean? why are you endangering me by cl- by clogging up this supermarket aisle right now and taking all like the canned food and the flour and the baking goods <laughs> and i don't know my experience with the supermarket nowadays right has been like you go in and then there's this ticking time bomb at the back of your head and you just know like okay i only have five minutes to get out of here because if i stay here beyond five minutes the virus is going to come into my system and kill me and i like the, my number one priority is not even like I need to get all this food is I need to get as much as I can in the next five minutes and I feel like everybody seems to be energized by this same panic and they're like and then because of this right the rules of social distancing have suddenly just all like been thrown out of the window people are like elbowing past each other shoving touching you know coming perilously close to like the splash zone for like like micro droplets and I just like have I don't know how to navigate in this space anymore it's like okay fine I will mm. I will I will slowly squeeze behind you and then try and keep the two meter distance within a one meter supermarket aisle or no I'm just gonna wait for you to browse and like so many people in the supermarket nowadays are actually just there to be out of the house and they don't actually need <laughs> to be there I have seen people lingering at shelves just staring morosely at like you know the most bizarre thing like luncheon meat and or like, and like, or like you, you know people who like, don't usually go to the supermarket and they're trying to figure out what bread to buy yeah, because they've I never mean, bought bread before in their lives don't get me wrong i am hugely empathetic because like you know being at home sucks right but then i just feel like i i just wish that all of this energy, all of this neurosis weren't concentrated in the one place I actually needed to go to feed myself. And <laughs> just... <laughs> but do, does that actually happen? Do people actually rub against each other? Because to my mind, when, when I go to the supermarket or when I go and buy food, people are actually quite serious about the social distancing and they actually steer clear of of one another quite well. There is that overwhelming sense of anxiety yeah. and fear. I- I'll give you that. No, but people. I think do it's see a, it so. What I'm talking about is that combination, right, of wanting to socially distance, but then also wanting to get the fuck out of there in the next five minutes. And sometimes mm. the two, these two goals are not, you know, they don't line up. Like in order to get out in the next five minutes, you literally have to elbow past the auntie in front of you because she is taking forever to unload the shelf of all the toilet paper. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, and also the the one place I feel this the most is when I'm queuing, and I am very aware of how far behind I should stand from the person in front of me. But if the person behind me stand too close, I immediately reflexively turn yes. around yes. and I feel bad because I go like no. oh no I didn't mean to like tell you off but also why are you standing so close you know yeah I have really had to restrain myself from trying to be that sanctimonious responsible citizen you know it's kind of like everybody should know better we need to all behave like we have the virus auntie why are you standing so close to me or like auntie why are you shoveling past people with your elbows you know you are in the high risk group you touch people for what you know and and it's just it's 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 so exhausting and tiring and i feel like yeah once you see one person fucking up with the social distancing you feel like actually the whole game is up already we're all compromised yeah. we might as well just and chong I think, right <laughs> I, I think this this reminds me of something that we talked about uh, about like I, I heard this term quarantine brain oh, about right. how like you 
everything that you see right now, you you question, oh my god, why are people so close together? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's uh, quite unbelievable. I, I, like, I feel this when I watch TV. Like, when I watch TV and I see two people, like, you know, from the before time, sitting on a bench, like, kissing, I just go like, guys, where's from your hand sanitizer? Time. From the before time. <laughs> and it's, it's, I thought that, you know, TV is one thing, right? But then, like, the other day, I was reading a novel, and then, like, I found myself self-conscious, subconsciously going, guys, why are you holding hands? Why are you in a, well, you know, why are you not you know what this points to is trauma we are all actually yeah like traumatized on on a very on a very scary level it's a kind of walking trauma right like we are the walking dead because our bodies are now weaponized yeah you know it's it's ridiculous did you see that guardian article about that about someone who sneezed on a woman's face and then later she got sick and died i mean that's just that is unbelievable it's it's, oh it's my God. unbelievable I mean, that woman should not have been should not have been working anyway as in like she should not have had to work and it's just so disgusting yeah. that she was like assaulted that way and i don't know i guess what i'm trying to say with this supermarket thing right is that the reason i find this so like the reason i think about it so much is because like every time i go to the supermarket i do not feel like i'm amongst human beings anymore does that make sense i feel like <laughs> other people have become abstracted into disease into death into defiance like this is all they mean to me at this time and i find it very dispiriting because that is not who i am and i want to i want to w- move through the world with love compassion empathy but i'm finding that very difficult right now and oh yeah i i feel like it, it makes me really worried about how this is going to permanently change yeah, the how con- we're going to yeah, come out of this, gonna come out side, this? Right? it's going to change the contours of human relations you know i mean everybody's talking oh, about yeah. how about this it's not a new idea but it just hits home every once in a while we're going like yeah actually we are you know when in this age of like insurmountable challenge to the human race what we really need is coming together mass movement empathy you know societies and groups being galvanized towards um you know uh the shared goals that's what we need right but this just seems like uh yeah in the completely opposite direction yeah we're so it, it feels as though like we are actually living in the end times and this is the first horseman of the apocalypse <laughs> yeah right first horseman is social distancing <laughs> and with that it's time for lukewarm takes where two elder millennials i.e. me and Kishin take you through That's the latest us. trends in internet culture but before we begin Kishin I just want to say how sexy it is to hear someone articulate science in such a fun and accessible way and i feel like you describe yourself as a science educator and that's really what you are and i feel like we need more popular science educators you know what i mean like oh that's very sweet yeah yay (laughs) that's all i can say to that yay yeah everybody like send some kind of support me i say everybody when it's really probably just you and me who's going to be listening to this podcast at the end of it yeah yeah, yeah we don't but know, you can right? you can support yourself. Anyway, today what I want to talk about is the Karen meme, which is something that's really close mm. to my heart because like, I don't I have meme. to admit that I have a difficult time with memes in general, right? Like you know this, I mm. like my boyfriend when we first met could only ever he could only he's he's quite much younger than me, right? And then like he only ever communicates in memes, and for a while it took a bit of adjusting. As I and I realized there's an entire generation of people on the internet now who communicate in meme. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and that's and that's very 
puzzling on some level, but also very entertaining on another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, memes are great. You can, you can get so much across yeah. from just that one little picture or whatever it's, or one it's little. It's almost like it's memes, just right? Memes are like waves of energy, <laughs> and the higher frequency the meme is. The more information it carries, Kishan. Wow. Yeah, wow. A star student. I am so proud. I'm so Thank proud. Thank you. So the Karen meme is something that's very close to my heart because, like, I think it's a very powerful meme. It's very funny meme. Um, wait, do you know what the Karen meme? Oh, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen it a number of times. Yeah. So, like in in my head, the Karen the the Karen meme is basically an elderly white woman who is. Asking not for the manager Not elderly like uh, the, Middle the, age A middle age um, Middle age Young-ish to middle age even Yeah Yeah basically like Possibly it's the our woman, age yeah, It's the woman Who asked for the manager right And she's become Kind of yes. like The emblem Of a certain kind of Like Argumentative White privilege That's always bullying um, And you know Who misbehaves And flexes in very uneven social interactions, like you know, service and stuff like that, right? So, oh yeah. A bit, so, but this meme has been around for years. We all know that. But it's it's it, and everybody has everybody knows a Karen. Everybody knows what Karen behavior is, right? But then, like, it's come back into the fore recently because during the pandemic, for some reason or another, uh, like the meme, there's been a flood of um, pandemic memes on everybody's favorite social media platform, TikTok, right? I think it's got something to do with the fact that like during the pandemic, Karens have really come out in full force. Like we've all seen... Oh my God. You know what I'm talking about? They truly have. It's those yeah. people who basically push their, for their right to go back to work or whatever exactly. with no regard for anyone else. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got like the massage Karen, like the I want a massage Karen. You've got the <laughs> I, you've got the gym Karen. You've got the restaurant, like, you know, literally like I want to go back and eat at a restaurant for Mother's Day Karen. So I think yep. something about this, ridiculous. something about the pandemic has brought out a lot of Karen behavior in places like the USA. And I think people are calling it out. I think what's happened is that a lot of people um, have started using the meme and then some white feminists have come out to uh, basically clap back at it saying, look guys, this meme is fundamentally misogynistic. It's basically saying like, <laughs> I'm just going to call any woman who does something to irritate me a Karen. And it's like, that's so missing the point, right? Because yeah, it's, it's like, it's missing I think the point what's happened... The deliciousness I, of the meme. Yeah, and I think what's happened is just that a lot of people who are using the meme now are actually quite unaware of its roots in anti-racism. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, the Karen meme is a beloved tool of um communities of colour to call out very specifically white behaviour because like... Whiteness is not a skin color; it's an attitude, right? And Karen is like <laughs> the quintessence of this attitude. Is Karen? I love and that I, phrase. I, I believe it's like yes, it's unfortunately gendered, but it cuts to the bone, nonetheless. I, I think we talked about this, right? It's like how white people, uh, uh totally um, make fun of people of color's names. They, they, like, yes. and the, the name that we both landed on was Shaniqua. For some yeah. reason, it was always a Shaniqua that was made fun of. Yeah, and is I think what it shows, right, is that. Like when minority groups reappropriate the tools of oppression, such as calling people names, such as caricature, such as certain forms of satire, right? Like it makes, you know, uh, majority groups very uncomfortable and they want to take these tools back from them. And this is definitely, this is all it looks like to me. There is no, I feel there is no case for say, do you know that some white feminists have actually said that calling a white woman a Karen is equivalent to using the N-word on a black person. I'm just like, take a seat, no, Karen. That, that is, is literally... That is unacceptable to say. A false wow. equivalent. That is literally the most 
what Karen thing to horrible, do. Horrible, <laughs> privileged sort of nonsense. I know that I, this is so ridiculous. Ayo. <laughs> yeah. That so is really I don't terrible. know. I think it's, this when when I was reading about this Karen thing, it made me think about something that um happened quite recently that the two of us have talked about quite a bit, right, Kishin, which is like um the whole Sharon Liu affair on Singapore Twitter. Oh yes, uh, wonderful Sharon Liu. So for people who don't know Sharon Liu, <laughs> she she has a I'm gonna I'm gonna say she she has a a, a tweet she had a twi- Twitter account uh, where she was seemingly racist. She said apparently horrible racist things, but it turned out that she was doing it quite satirically. And unfortunately, um, I think on just quite recently, a couple of weeks back, um, she got charged and uh, for for for. For basically saying racist things, and um, the and it's now an active investigation or something like that. Yeah, I I think the thing that's difficult about Sharon is that yes, actually the things that she was posting were racist, but they were a very like true to life recreation of a certain kind of ignorant, um, ignorant benign racism that we see a lot, you know, amongst the kind of basic Chinese girl that she is trying to parody. It's it's, it's yep. such a good parody and I think it makes people so uncomfortable because it cuts so close to the bone, right? And Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think we have some examples. Should we read them out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, okay. Kishen. I, I can't because I'm Chinese, you know, so... <laughs> okay. So this, we got this from the Mothership article. <laughs> Better say. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, the, the, the one I'll read out is this, okay. Um, <laughs> I cannot, it's very funny. Um, <laughs> She says, uh, "You don't know how to behave. Let the apu nene coronavirus catch you." Oh my so god! So that's one. That's one of her choice tweets, and, <laughs> and another one which she she actually tagged on Twitter: Lee Sin Long, Gan Kim Yong, and K Shan Mokum. Uh, she says this: uh, "At Lee Sin Long, at Gan Kim Yong, at K Shan Mokum, sirs, now." <laughs> Now is best time to have a special COVID civilian force of Chinese auntie to catch young pang that sit too close to each other. Most of these are Malayu, India, or the foreigner, not the true blue Singaporean. Please consider, okay? Looking at K Shamugam's tweets, right, where he goes like, uh, these tweets were written deliberately to stoke anger, unhappiness, racial tensions. Now, I'm not mm. sure. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I feel about that. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I, I think. It's a kind of like anti-racist be strategy, right? That is, it's not meant for, it's not meant for people who aren't within minority groups to appreciate, or people who aren't um, fundamentally armed with like anti-racist uh, attitudes to begin with. It's a very, you know, what, it's that kind of, it's a very insider group kind of humor. It's, yeah. it's, it's a it's very a- Karen meme. Kind of yeah. humor where it's like it's yeah. for us, right? It's for people who are like actively engaged against these and uh, racist behaviors and are tired of these racist behaviors and racist attitudes. And rather than just being angry about it, just find a way to invent a very delicious way of laughing at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. I think one of the best ways we we can point out certain things sometimes is to basically take it to an extreme level, mm. you know. And I think that's uh, that's what she's done, or. We we found out now that Sharon is actually a a man, right? She's, yeah, a, a non Chinese yeah, man. It turns out a non Chinese man. Yeah, I mean, yes. you, I, the reason I'm thinking about Sharon in relation to Karen because it's exactly that the same thing of like a uh, uh, a tool of anti racism being taken away from uh, people who need it. 
you know uh and being accused of being uh, being and, and and this tool being accused of being um hate stirring is it's the same operation you know what i mean it's like where the karen meme is being called you know misogynistic sharon liu is being described essentially as, as <laughs> racist. racist yeah and i don't know we we've we've had a lot of talk about this with our friends too right and it's just this sense that singaporean there is a kind of satire a kind of humor and a kind of irony that does, just does not land in this country yeah which is and, very yeah. very sad people just don't seem to be able to wrap their heads around set, uh, around this level of satire or and yeah, I, some actually level i of wonder satire. it's like you know it's like when you were reading out those tweets and there and you were like sharon liu um at tweeting to direct tweeting to Lee Sien Loong and other politicians right the reason yeah. that is so good is because like there are actually Singaporeans like that who are, take the social media profiles of our leaders so seriously and actually think these are direct lines of oh communication oh my god that is leaders. so you know I mean? true it's like the it's the woman who replies to Lee Sien Loong's Instagram post going like sir you know my neighborhood here got a lot of rats. Can you do something about it? Correct. You know, it's like Correct. It's, it's like this. It's so. It's this very literal and direct view of the world. It's an inability to see that it's all media. Hmm. It's all where religion. every Facebook post is a meet the people session. It's, it's constructed. Yeah. I think, and I think that like, Singaporeans have a lot. Of, many Singaporeans have problems with that because we we are, we are forced to see the world so literally. We don't see the mediation at work, and I think it's. And it's because we've been deliberately kept this way. A kind of this kind of relationship with media, with art, with content is what makes it easy to be sold. You know, it makes it very easy to sell ideas and stories to people. When you don't think about the way the message is coming to you, it's a lot easier to receive the message. I, I, I think mean? it's. I I don't know. I I think it's it's the when I think about how our countrymen deal with satire I mean this is not the only example right there's, 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 there's the example the more recent example of the McDonald's person the person that took oh, an right. Instagram story of uh, of him going to McDonald's and trying to buy food or, or, or busting everyone is basically queuing up since the 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 uh, it got since since it's re- restarted open uh, since it restarted again and then he just basically said like why are you queuing up why are you here and the Instagram story ended with him uh basically showing off that he bought food. Yeah, but so, I'm Tish, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. And, and so, I, I haven't really followed the story. So, people lambasted him for for posting people, those yeah. stories. So, people lambasted him at first for like, oh, but then you also buy what? Why you this and that, this and that. Oh my but, god. But, 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 the thing was that uh, on that Facebook thread, there were many more people in support of him or so saying oh no he's just being ironic or oh no he's just having fun oh no he's just playing the fool blah 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 blah. so they were able to see that level of um i don't know i, I wouldn't even call it irony like that, that level of like making fun of the situation but yeah many people didn't see this side uh didn't see that sharon Liu was doing a similar thing because and i think you pointed it out very very correctly and it, and it made me a bit depressed when you first said this was that sharon Liu cuts too close to home she is actually somebody you yeah. know there, there are I think people like that we haven't, behave that yeah, way we haven't moved far away enough from this kind of people for us to have this kind of satire doesn't make sense it's so close that we need very exaggerated versions of the truth in order to tell us oh actually it's not real we need the news right we need we need that level <laughs> oh my God, of yeah, the that news. is so and even some do you know some people I know right when the news first came out actually thought no I know what real. you're gonna say oh my god yeah, there were people who thought huh this one not, bl- not, this one not real news like, I'm just like oh my days there is no hope for us
Can you guess what? What? We're at the final segment of our very first episode of our very first podcast, lah. Oh, oh my god! Very emotions. Very emotions. I have to say that it's <laughs> like this is possibly the only productive, creative thing I've done in the past couple of weeks, and I've been so energized by it because it's you oh, know, right. Oh you my too, god, right? Me too. You know, I've been very energized by this for some. I don't know. It's just because it's so. Different. I didn't think I would same, do this. You know, same. And it's like I ha- and also I realized I haven't seen you in so long, except for that time we accidentally bumped into each other at the supermarket, right? <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um. Anyway, what is our third sec- uh, segment? It's what to watch at the end of the world because pandemic or not, mm. the world is ending. We're calling it here. <laughs> and Kishin and I are going to review the latest in stay-at-home entertainment and up. For the chopping block tonight is Hollywood, which is streaming on Netflix, and it's by everybody's favorite. Um, I don't even know how to describe Ryan Murphy, but Ryan Murphy. Uh, just let's just yeah. I can tell from your tone, Kishin, <laughs> that you're not very enthusiastic about the Murphs. <laughs> What are some yeah, of Ryan Murphy's other other shows? Just just to give us some context. So here. okay, so. Many people are familiar with um, American Horror Story mm-hmm. because, like, there are like what eight eight different mm-hmm. American Horror Stories. Yeah. Then there's also Pose. Pose. Then there's also uh, the Politician. But but I have to say this: many people forget one of his first creations was actually Popular. Have you heard of Popular? It was probably when we were primary six. You I have know, to say this. this is suddenly ringing a bell, but I don't quite because remember. I have to say, I absolutely loved it. Now thinking back, it's very quintessential Ryan Murphy. But at that time, it was so like envelope pushing. I was like, "Wow, what is this? It's so interesting." Yeah, wait, wait. You know? So this was uh, yeah. way before Glee, right? I'm guessing. Oh my yeah. gosh, way before oh. Glee. Yeah, was it like a high school, Glee. high school kind of TV series? Ah, yes, it was yeah, a high he had TV that kind series. of like you know big ensemble cast kind, of. and everybody was pretty yeah. handsome. Everybody looked amazing. So yeah, those are his creations. I, mean, I was really into the first season of Glee. In fact, I have generally been quite into the first seasons of Ryan Murphy's things, and I always find that they kind of fall off the boat by the second season. It was like that for me with Pose, right? Pose, the first season, and anyway, I think he had very little creative input for Pose, which is why it was so good. I think <laughs> here we are, just like oh, did yeah, he? Did I he not have he had, uh, like, he, a lot of creative? I, input? He, I, I'm not, I'm not 100 on this, but I feel like he wasn't writing and directing as much as in some of the other seasons or at right, all. Um, right. And I think he handed it over to a very diverse um, cast of trans people, people of color, um, and so the show. Oh, you know what? That's yeah, good on him for doing yeah, that, right? And yeah. that's why okay. it was so good, right? Post season. One and then something about yeah, post season two. Post season one was fantastic. Yeah. And um, anyway, we're talking about Hollywood today, which is his latest yeah. offering. Um, for those of you who But, haven't yeah. seen Hollywood, um, basically it's set in the in the post World War Two version of Hollywood, where I think it's um commonly known as like the studio system, and this is like the 40s and 50s, right? So you're dealing. Yeah, with, they were yeah. moving from they were moving uh, from yeah. like um silent films to they're moving yeah, to towards, towards the talkies, talkies. You know, yeah. Basically, it's it's a kind of um. Imagined his imagined history of Hollywood. So you've got some real life characters like Anna Mae Wong, Rock Hudson. Basically, it tells the story of a bunch of young people, new, fresh LA faces who are hoping to make it within the Hollywood studio system, and and the kind of like horrible things that they have to do to get 
to get there and then um it eventually centers around this um film right that has been written by a black gay screenwriter uh and that eventually features a black leading lady uh and is directed by a half filipino um director played by Darren Chris uh yeah and then like how the forces of this like renegade studio improbably led by um Patty Lupone <laughs> yeah a, um, woman, a woman a woman uh yeah. come together yeah. is the roja is the roja of representation correct every you know, just, every every marginal identity except trans people correct extra pineapples yeah. extra utel <laughs> extra everything oh my god that's you know, what it is the roja with everything right everything was everything. a god yeah And you know what? I was actually quite taken with the yeah. show at the very beginning because I thought like, oh, what an interesting experiment. Yeah. You know, let's see where this goes. But towards the end, I have to say I got actually quite angry at the whole thing. Uh, and I think I told you, I, I remember actually shouting yeah. at my laptop at one point because I found it so unbelievable and so neatly tied up yeah. that it, it just it just discounted the difficulties Uh, that the people face at that time, right? You know, so I, I mean, like, I, I it's, it's yeah, I, I didn't buy it. Basically, this company that's trying to produce this ran- radical film, right? Radical for the times film faces a lot of like um, uh, opposition, including from the Ku Klux Klan, who which has want to have and you know, and 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 this is a time when like um, the USA is still very heavily segregated, right? So there is a lot at stake here. Um, And I feel like what you're talking about is basically that the, f- the the series ties up a lot of these loose ends in a highly improbable, very wish fulfillment kind of way, which some of our friends who've seen it say is a strength, right? That yeah, sure, it's unlike yeah. it, this would never have happened, and the whole point is that it never happened, which is why seeing it happen feels some, becomes powerful. I don't know that it's powerful, but some people found it powerful. Um, I, uh, I I like I I totally didn't you know yeah. so I don't know I I, I don't buy I, it I I think for me what it is is that it is the Ryan Murphy kiss of death where it like suggests <laughs> a politics more than it performs a politics does that make sense it's like it's very like yeah sure we are going I am going to cast the edgiest uh, I'm going to reimagine all world Hollywood in the edgiest way possible it's going to be filled with like male prostitutes gay men um, it's going to make the case for acceptance for all kinds of marginal bodies it's basically importing a kind of very 21st century politics uh, somewhat like uh, incongruously onto the 40s and 50s right uh, and somehow and, and I think perhaps it's trying to say if only people had Fought for what they believed in back then, we might have had this film, right? Um, and I guess like sure, but to my mind, it's like actually, if you're very interested, if you're so interested in how problematic Hollywood is and continues to be, right? Just make a TV series set in present day LA. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, actually yeah. show it, right? Just actually show it happening right now. Yeah. So and, yeah, the, I, I, yeah. And in all, no. in fact, not don't make a film, don't make a TV show about Hollywood at all. It's like this is what I mean when I say that it it it, it suggests a politics more than performs it because actually, if you're talking about representation in film, the most like hardball thing to do is to completely ignore Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? It is it is yeah. to like completely write Hollywood out of relevance it's like we don't care you know we don't need we don't need these citations and we don't need this like acceptance from the cultural center in order to be valuable and meaningful which was the whole strength of a series like Pose do you know what I mean 
like yeah, where Pose was really like completely this underground. This w- entire universe that existed outside of that influence, and it was beautiful to watch. And it was like I don't care. Yeah, exactly. we don't need Hollywood. And it was nice. Yeah, mm. it was nice for it that they came out of then like put it on our screens and everything. Yeah. Right. But for I don't know, there was something very disingenuous about about the whole of Hollywood. Correct. That, like, it just didn't ring. It, it was very hollow. It feels very box ticky, which is one of the worst things that's come out of a ve- an, a, an admittedly very important conversation and I think it's it's just like what it, hold, what it, 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 it drums in for me is that representation is not enough does that make sense or like just there, yeah. rep- there are limits to this conversation about representation because the end point of a specific kind of conversation about representation media is shows like Hollywood or Crazy Rich Asians or what's that show that um, you guys are uh, talking about Never Have I Ever yeah which is also on, yeah, on, I was Netflix, on Netflix isn't it? and I had I had some issues with it uh, because it was it didn't it, it wasn't proper representation and it felt very plastic you know in short Never Have I Ever follows the story of this teenage girl I think she lives in somewhere in California her, her, she's a she is a daughter of immigrants. The parents, her parents moved from India and she's trying to grow up in America. She's born in America. She's trying to grow up in America and she's a high school kid and she's going through all the standard issues that high school kids her age are supposed to go through. You know, mm. like, oh, I want to find a boyfriend. Oh, like, you know, she's trying to navigate sex, uh, all this sort of thing. But the thing is, she was just a typical stereotype, which was very frustrating. And a stereotype she, of an Indian girl she was, or... And yeah, exactly. She she was a stereotype of an Indian girl. She was she had good grades. <laughs> uh, every time every time we saw saw her like uh, flexing, it was to do with her grades, and it was uh, to do with studies. It was very, it, you know, it's not something that that, that it's it's just basically such a played out stereotype. It became so annoying to watch again and again and again. Mm. So I remember saying to some of our friends like, "Can we have a mean girl that is an Indian person? You know, can we just?" break out of that because we are more than just these stereotypes in fact we are so much more than these stereotypes and it and why we felt particularly irritated by this was because it was done by Mindy Kaling and so we had we had a lot to expect you know we're like oh she's gonna break out of it she's going to really represent um, the Indian community or whatever and and it just fell flat yeah I don't know what it is if it's like having to represent your community in a way that is legible or palatable by the mainstreams you know i.e. white audience right I mean I I, I don't know if that's at work it feels like it feels like it might be but you also don't know what goes into making a TV show yeah see that's exactly one of what one of our friends said like maybe she actually put she brought to the table something Mm. entirely different but because they needed it to be as you say palatable for a white audience they watered it down like nobody's business and it became this which if it's true then okay lah we are really like saying well we're, we're giving a lot of face to, to Mindy Kaling you know but I don't know yeah it's I, I that's so bizarre it reminds me of like um that TV show Fresh Off The Boat it, a lot of people talked about that as a kind of landmark um show for Asian American representation right because like prior to that that never actually been a kind of interesting show set um, in an, in a Chinese American family. But I, wa- and watching it, I was just completely overwhelmed by, by, by all the cliche and stereotype. The bad accents, the, the, the tiger mom stereotypes, every kind of like 
Chinese uh, stereotype you can imagine they threw in, right? And I think it has something to do with us sitting outside of the dias- the diaspora experience. You know what I mean? It is this thing, yeah, right? Living absolutely. in the UK and dealing with a lot of like um, British-born Chinese can often be quite an interesting, sometimes frustrating experience where because they feel and very unfortunately feel very alienated from certain aspects of their culture, often cliche is the only thing that you know, provides a, f- a kind of identity to rally around. Um, or, and, and it's things like that scene in Crazy Rich Asians where the whole family sitting around making fucking dumplings and it's just like, what Chinese family? You know, what, what is this? Uh, what is but this? you know, you, you, you were right about the whole, maybe we don't fit into this whole thing because, um, there's this whole Facebook group, uh, with just a lot of, uh, brown people in it, and 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 th- and a bunch of these brown people. Is it? Oh, it's Singapore. Uh, are they all in Singapore, or is it like? No, no, no. It's uh, it's subtle curry traits. So it's it's it's, it's this Facebook group that. <laughs> Do you know there's a subtle there's a subtle Asian traits as there's a subtle Asian traits oh, as no well, way. which I joined for all of one week, and then I had to leave because there were just too many boba <laughs> memes. You know, it's just like bubble tea is not a personality, but then. COVID-19 has taught us otherwise. Yeah. It's not a personality. If it is, if it is, it is a fl- <laughs> the flattest personality ever. But anyway, on, on subtle curry traits, there were many people, and this surprised me because I thought there would be many people who would be upset after watching the show because mm. of poor, poor representation. But many people actually started to uh, post stills from the show and say like, oh my god, this is me. Like, oh my god, this is my mom. Oh my god, this. Oh my god, that. And there was a lot of relatability and then I, was, I just sat there going like huh I don't understand this at all uh, why do you feel that you fit into such an awful stereotype of Indian people then I, I, I talked about this to, uh, to to some of our friends and and we concluded that this is their <laughs> life la. this is how they live and it's and I'm like oh my god this is a bit Sad or I don't know. I don't. I don't know. If I don't it's know. Sad. I feel like that the the whole there is a real disconnect between the diaspora and people who are from like the home countries, right? If and you know, like it's weird thinking about myself as not diasporic because like actually all Singapore Chinese are diasporic Chinese, right? But I think it's because of our location in Southeast Asia and you know our proximity, our proximity yes, to exactly. you know that part of the world that we still feel like oh okay, it's I think it's a fundamental quality of growing up in the West that kind of changes one's relationship with immigrant culture and makes it something that, you know, is, yeah, that, that, I think that is what makes us look at it so differently. It's something about, about growing up under the influence yeah. of whiteness, I think, that is, can be a very corrupting force. Um, and it's very unfortunate. But you know what? We were talking about Hollywood. I don't uh, know how because we, we got everything's here. related. So. Christian, okay. It has, has this pandemic taught you nothing? It's true. It's true. It's all in intricate Everything's in web. <laughs> All right, I think that brings us to our time. We don't want to go on for much longer because, like, this is only meant to be a forty-five minute podcast. I think we've have yeah. we talked about everything we want to talk about I, today. Christian? I think so. I think I think we did a pretty good job for our for our myst- I, I call them our mystery our mystery listener. Well, thank you, mysterious Amazing. listener, for listening, and thank you, Kishin, for spending the past forty-five minutes with me. Yes, thank you. I had so much fun. This has been our very first episode. We hope you like it. And if you, I think if more people like it, you know what? Regardless of whether people like it, I think we will make another yeah. one. <laughs> I want to do another one because I enjoy this. All right. Shall we sign off, yeah. Kishan? Thanks so yeah. much for listening to the first episode of Tea for Two. This has been Joel Tan. And this has been Kishan signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.